things that he has done. Over the weekend, I planted some seeds in my biodomes. Uh, those biodomes were actually a gift given to me by my boys uh, a couple of three years ago. They're really ideal for germinating seeds. The environment is pretty perfect there. The climate is just right. The airflow is just perfect. And the right amount of moisture is given from the bottom to those pods. So it's the place that real germination can take place and the sprouts can begin. And soon uh, after our last frost hits, I will transplant from that biodome into the ground and hopefully harvest some great fruit and veggies from that. I don't know if you have done that kind of thing, but Kay and I have done that regularly, whether it's planting a garden or starting in the, in the domes and then transplanting. But we're just always mystified that a seed that is dead can be put into the ground and life can come up from that to the point that it grows strong and mature and develops the ability by God's goodness to multiply. In fact, that process, although we've seen it many, many times, still just makes us shake our head and wonder, God, how do you do that? How does that happen? How you can take one kernel of corn, which we love corn planted in the garden, I don't know about you, but we love corn. How you can take one kernel of corn, put that kernel into the ground, it's dead as can be, and God bring forth life from it. This is a picture of a couple of years ago harvest, uh, where you get great ears of corn. In fact, that one kernel will produce a stalk, which for the most part will produce two ears of corn, that if you add them both up, it's 1,500 kernels. That's 1 to 1,500. That's pretty good uh, multiplication, isn't it? In fact, if you were an investor, you would say, good grief, that's the kind of investment that I want. Probably shouldn't mention investment now that we've had that little correction the last several days. But at any rate, this is an amazing um, movement of God that occurs often without us giving it much contemplation as the great husband of the world, Jesus, plants and sows and brings forth life from that which is dead. I'm grateful to God for those kind of lessons through life because they help us to discover great spiritual lessons as well. Jesus, who knows that rhythm in its ideal way, said the same about his own life, his own death, and his own resurrection, and about the multiplication of harvest that could come to all of us. In fact, in John 12, 24, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So that grain, that kernel of grain, can get planted or scattered on the ground, God will cause that which is dead to bring forth life. Roots will go down into the ground. A stem will come up out of the ground. And a harvest will come in just a number of weeks. Jesus says that parallels my life. I will be crucified. I will be buried into that tomb. And on the third day, I will rise up out of that tomb to bring forth life in its multiplicity. He will provide a harvest. And for you who are in the room who have received Jesus Christ by faith that God has sent His Son, you are part of that glorious harvest that God has brought about. You are a reminder to me that God is very much at work, and we ought to be a reminder to each other that God is at work to bring life from that which is dead. That season, that rhythm, that cycle that happens throughout the world as we speak 
is happening both physically and spiritually, and God is part of every aspect of it. I want to talk about that rhythm some today as we're drawing nearer to a conclusion of our 40 days of renewal. I want to talk about this cycle of life that begins first with us spiritually dying to sin and self, and in that death, God bringing forth life in us by Christ Jesus, His Spirit, And then the Spirit nurturing us to grow and mature in our faith so that we can be bountiful, producing a harvest to come one day in the future to be gathered by Christ Himself. So I want to talk about those four aspects of our spiritual life, the first of which is we die to sin and self. Now Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So in other words, if you're trying to come to spiritual life by doing things, you're going to lose it. What you and I need to come to terms with is that we need to die in the self and sin, and we need to live in Christ and His glory. The discovery of this truth is absolutely essential. Dying to sin and self in that something that is something that happens at the moment of our salvation. In my salvation, I died to sin and self, but it doesn't just stop there. That continues on every day in my salvation, working out my salvation, I die to sin and self to the point that God brings a wonder, abundance of life. That's what he calls us to do. This is not about me dying to sin and self and being saved. This is about me dying to sin and self and being saved and continuing on in that salvation, dying to sin and self. And you can put yourself in the same spot. It's what Christ is calling for all of us to do, to die to clinging to the old life. You can't cling to righteousness at the same time you're clinging to unrighteousness. You're going to have to forsake and die to those things. Now, Jesus helps us to discover about this death. He does so by his spirit, speaking through the apostle Paul as he's writing out a letter to the church in Rome. He says this in the sixth chapter of Romans. We were buried, therefore, with him, speaking of Jesus, by baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, you've heard this so many times, I resist saying it, but redundancy is good in our walk with faith. I believe the Bible is best read with a pencil in your hand, being ready to mark and treasure the things that the Spirit of God is identifying in your heart that he wants to speak to you about from his word. So with my pen, stylist in my hand, let's look through this passage real quick. We were buried therefore with Jesus by baptism into death. Now that's the phrase that I think we ought to zoom in on first. We recognize that uh, what Christ did on the cross was to accomplish the forgiveness of our sins, but it's more than that. You've got to think of this rhythm now. A seed's put into the ground, it dies there, and God brings forth life so that it might produce abundant fruit. This is the spiritual uh, cycle of life, and it's also the physical cycle of life in the plant world. So we're recognizing a pattern here. So when Jesus is saying by His Spirit to us through this passage, you and I share in the burial, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. 
we were baptized into death. Now, that word baptized is obviously a very important word. Um, it, it means to be immersed. In fact, this is one of those words that the translators of the Bible just transliterate the word. They bring the word from its original language and just bring it into our language. So, baptizo in the Koine Greek comes into our language transliterated as baptize. So the rest of the Bible, most of the rest of the Bible is translated for us. So we get the understanding of the word, not just the transliteration of the word. So it's often, I think rightly so, that when I'm reading passages like this, I replace the word baptism with immersion or immerse so that it flows with the rest of the translation because that's what he's saying. So when you do that, you get a greater sense of discovery of the truth. We were buried therefore with him by immersion into his death, or immersion by death. We were immersed with Christ on the cross. It's not just what Christ was doing for us, but what Christ was doing with us. We were there on the cross by faith with him. And we, we are there in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. So if you want to have newness of life, you have to first be immersed into his death. Isn't that what we say? We're, we're immersing the seed in the ground. God brings forth life from it. We're immersing ourselves with Christ on the cross and in the tomb so that we would be sharing this newness of life that Christ has given to us. So it's, it's a beautiful picture that we are united with Christ in his death and we shall certainly be united with him in a res resurrection with, like his because we have been immersed in his death and in his resurrection. So it was God's plan from eternity past. I don't want you to think that it was like God wringing his hands on the heavenly throne when Adam and Eve blew it and they sinned and rebelled against God. God wasn't saying, now, now what do I do? No, before the world was put into order, before the foundation was set, before mankind was even created, God had already made the way for our sin to be corrected and completely wiped away. And that was through Jesus Christ. It was already determined from eternity past, that Christ would be the one who would die for us in our stead and we would share, he would share that death with us. Baptism is the public picture of that. I think Allie did it well, where she was lowered down into the water and raised up out of the water. It's a beautiful picture of sharing the death of Jesus Christ and his burial and being raised anew, sharing the resurrection to a new way of life. If you haven't been baptized, and your faith is solidly in God, in Christ, who sent his, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse you of your sin and to share His righteous life with you. If you've not been baptized, I would encourage you to do that. It's God's first command for us as we've trusted in Him by faith that we would outwardly express that. And there's no greater picture than that baptismal pool about the new life that is ours in Jesus Christ. So you might be thinking, okay, Randy, I'm getting it. We're supposed to die to sin and self, but how in the world do I do that? I've been trying to die to sin all my life, and I can't seem to do it. I'd say the first step is to recognize you can't do it. Just come to certainty about that, that I cannot change this. I cannot die to certain sins. And that's certainly the reason why God has sent His Son to die in your stead, because He will share that death with you. It's about what Christ has accomplished that you and I need to hold on to by faith. 
By faith, you have been crucified with Christ. In fact, one of the greater passages that I learned as a teenager, one that constantly sticks with me, is Galatians 2.20. It was actually taught to me in a song. So because it's a song, it resonates in my heart, and it comes out regularly. Uh, we probably ought to do that a whole lot more than we do right now. Just sing songs that are scripturally bound. But anyway, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That was the beginning of that passage that I learned as a kid. So how do you die to sin? You come to the reckoning of that truth. My sin has been crucified with Christ. The old, sinful, wayward, rebellious way has been crucified with Christ on the cross. Nevertheless, I'm alive. Nevertheless, I live. Because Christ is living in me. So what is it that has died? I can tell you what has died if your faith is in God who sent His Son. Christ Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins. The old lying and cheating you is dead. The old lustful and perverted you, dead. The old greedy you, dead. The one that was filled with foul mouth and language and anger that spews out all the time, dead. The unrighteous, rebellious way that you were living out against the way of God, dead with Christ Jesus on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. So the Holy Spirit clearly expresses this to us. In passages like Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So allow Christ to share that death with you. Die in that old rebellious way and live anew in him. So it's, you're coming to a place of death to self and death to sin that you might come to life in Jesus. The Bible says clearly in Galatians chapter 2 that we who have died in Christ and been buried with him are raised to walk in a new life. We're trusting that the mighty power of God who resurrected Jesus from the grave is at work in you, giving you this new life and the new resurrection that is shared with you. So God has made us alive with Christ. So listen to what he says in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider it. I love this passage because he's not telling us to do anything. He's not telling us to get rid of anything. He's not telling us to start doing anything. There is no admonition in this other than consider this truth. So what does it mean to consider? I know for me, it's first to take it as fact. Consider this truth. Hold this up. No matter what you're feeling, no, no matter what somebody's saying to you, consider this truth. And what is this truth? Consider the truth that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the beginning of how we walk in the newness of life, that we have died. We consider it to be true that we have died with Christ and now are made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, how do I know it to be true? Because God said it was true. And God has always been faithful and true and honest. I'm a big fan of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who explains this verse as not being an exhortation to us about anything regarding our sin, but instead realizing what has already been done in regards to sin on our behalf. That Christ has already accomplished. So consider what is already true 
You are already dead to sin in Jesus Christ. So we don't experience this and move towards the position. Instead, we live in the position and experience it. Here's the way Martin Lloyd-Jones says it. You do not experience your position. You are told about it and you believe it. So a little over 17 years ago, I came to this church as a candidate to be your pastor. And unanimously, the church determined that it was the will of God for me to be in that position. So they named me as the pastor to hold the position. And I have been exercising out of that position ever since. Now, what happens if 17 years ago, I show up to a service and you were singing and you and I did not know each other, but you've been singing in the morning, you've taken the collection and I just walk up on the platform with my Bible and I start to preach as if I'm the pastor. And what if I start to try to lead and guide this church as a pastor ought to be doing, a shepherd leading a sheep? What, what if I did that? You'd be calling 911, wouldn't you? Because you'd say, this guy's an idiot. What a nutcase he is. He's come into this place trying to assume a position that is not his to assume. Everybody gets that, right? So why would we ever think spiritually that we can work to assume a position of salvation? You don't work towards the position of salvation. You are saved because Christ says you're saved. You're saved by His Word. And in the position of being no longer a sinner, but a saint, you live out the expression of that position. That is a radical shift. Because if you're here today and you're thinking, i got to get my life in order, i got to get my act together, and I've got to do things spiritually so one day God will save me, you're in an altogether off-way place. Come to the truth. The salvation comes only by the declaration of the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ. You're saved only by Him. And in that position of your salvation will you be able to work out the salvation. So you die to sin and self, and you're made new in Jesus Christ to live in a different way. So right now, my little bio pods or whatever you want to call those things, seed pods or are in the dining room. i got to get rid of those before next Sunday because we're doing our connection dinner next Sunday and Kay is going to force me to get those out of the dining room. But right now they're in the dining room. And in the dining room, on the floor, I have a, a towel laid out and a heating pad under both of the biodomes. So the, the pads are heating the domes to the mid-70 degree mark. That's a good, it's a good temperature to germinate seeds. And at the place in the dining room, they are right by the window. So they're sensing the warmth from the sun soon, in a couple of days, because it will be required of me. I will move those domes downstairs and I will put them back on a heating pad and I will put over them LED lights that have the full spectrum that they need to grow. Now, watch what's going to happen. This is a picture of what happened a couple of years ago. I was downstairs doing this then. Too lazy to walk down the stairs right now. But at any rate, this is what happened. The warmth of the pads heated the soil, making the conditions perfect for life to come about. And the root began to grow down, and the shoot began to grow up, 
and began to reach towards the glory of that light overhead. Now you're seeing what's happening, right? Spiritually. The gospel is meant to warm your heart to truth. It's meant to make your heart conditioned to be able to receive the gospel seed and then let that seed take root into your heart, into your being. And then as it's taking root, that which was once dead begins to come alive by faith in God who sent His Son. And your life begins to shoot up to the glory of God. But it ain't over yet. The purpose is to get that shoot to come up towards the light so I can transplant it into the ground and have a bountiful harvest one day. Because as cool as that is, I don't like to grow seeds into sprouts, into seedlings, without a harvest. The purpose is the harvest. And as cool as your salvation is, God is after more than just your salvation. God wants you to grow in life in Him. He wants you to mature in life in Him. And He wants you to reach towards the glory of life in Him. And He wants you to be a harvest gatherer of fruit of the abundance of Christ all around you and in you and through you. That's what His purpose is. Some of you are hanging out just in the moment of your shooting. And God says, wow, I had so much more hope for you for a great bountiful harvest to be gathered through you. Let God bring His light into your heart. As he does, not only will he make that which was once dead to be alive in his spirit, but he will help you to nurture and grow. And that's the third principle. Being made new in Jesus Christ is the completed work of God's grace towards us, his love. That's what he does. But that new life is meant to be grown to spiritual maturity and to spiritual depth. This is the passage that I really wanted to focus in on today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse Two and three. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now let's slow it down a little bit. I've given you space in your handout so that you could have a pen or pencil in your hand and mark it as the Spirit of God leads you to mark it. It may be similar to mine or it might be different. Like newborn infants, we're to long for pure spiritual milk. Now, before you get offended, God is not calling you a baby. God is not talking only to new Christians here. He's talking to all of us. He's been saved since 1973. He's talking to me here. Some of you have been saved longer than me. Some of you are brand new in your faith. He's talking to all of us. Like a newborn infant, long for this spiritual milk. What does that mean? Well, the spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, is the Word of God. That's the, the Word that was spoken into your life and brought about salvation. You're saved by hearing the Word, hearing the Word of God alone. And upon receiving that Word, faith was moving in you to receive it, and life came into you. That which was dead spiritually is now alive because of the Word of God. And it will be the word that will be presented at the moment of the completion of your salvation, the word of Christ. So he's saying to us, like an infant 
hungers for, desires, or the Bible word here is longs for, pure spiritual milk, so should you. Now, that baby comes conditioned to be hungry for milk. I mean, almost instantly, that baby will start crying and can only be satisfied with mother's milk coming into it. And so that baby will be satisfied with that milk, and then you put that babe down, and he falls asleep, or she falls asleep, and a couple of hours later, it stirs, and it's hungry again. You know what it's longing for? More milk! And that's a cycle that just continues all through the day, and for some of you, all through the night. God help you. I've been there and experienced that. Boy, there is never a tired and frustration like when the baby will not go down in the night, is there? God's grace is given to you who are parents if you'll just press into it. I should have pressed a little bit more myself. Anyway, the point is, God has made it so babies have a longing for milk. And the Spirit of God is making it for all of us to long for pure spiritual milk. Now, I think our longing for pure spiritual milk is the Word of God. Not just some author's readings or writings about the Word of God. Not just some song about the Word of God. Although, that's good, and I think we ought to do that. But our genuine hunger ought to be for the pure Word of God. This ought to be where our satisfaction comes. I'm a devotional reader. I like one called uh, Daily Wisdom Hunters, and I read devotions regularly. But my hunger is not for wisdom hunters. My hunger is for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. That's where I get most satisfied. So he's telling us to be like an infant and long for pure spiritual milk. And the purpose is this, that you may grow up in salvation. Now look, this is essential that we understand this point, that we are getting the process here. We are not growing in order to be saved. We are saved and we're growing up in our salvation. Some of you stagnated at the point of your salvation. And you didn't grow. You've not been nurtured. You've not hungered. You have a failure to thrive spiritually. And what the Spirit of God wants is not just for you to have life new in Christ, but He wants you to have life that grows and is maturing and growing into your salvation. Because let me remind you, the point of your salvation is just the beginning. There's a conclusion of your salvation. It's called glorification in the, in the Bible. So you are saved at the moment of your faith. But there is coming a day where you will be face to face with Jesus. And if your faith is in God who sent him to be your rescuer, your redeemer, your salvation, then you will stand before him and he will make you glorified in body as you already are in spirit. That day's coming. So what happens in between? What happens at the start of your salvation and the completion of your salvation is the spirit of God wants us to hunger for true pure spiritual milk that we might grow and mature and move towards the fulfillment of this salvation, if indeed you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So this taste that is developed is the salvation that comes in the Word of God. And that taste which you developed, you tasted it, it was good, the salvation in the Word brings about a hungering, a longing for this spiritual milk that we might grow up spiritually. Man, I encourage us to do that. It's what 40 days has been about. It's been about developing in us a hunger for pure spiritual milk. 7 a.m., noon, 7 p.m., sometimes 7-ish. <laughs> 
God, God is giving us that, that word. And, and we're learning to cultivate a real taste for it. Now, I've got some bad news for you. The text will end at the end of the week. Now, some of you are going to be really ticked at that. Why don't you just keep on giving us the text? We're doing so well. It's a great reminder to us, and I agree. But at some point, somebody has to stop feeding the baby the bottle, and the baby has to start holding the bottle himself. So what we're attempting to do in 40 days is to develop in us a taste for God's Word. And we've done it in an orderly way in the morning, noon, and evening so that when the texts don't come, you're hungry for God's Word in the morning, in the noontime, and in the evening. And I'm encouraging you to do it. When you wonder, well, I didn't get a text today. Oh, it's day 41. But I have a hunger for God's Word, so let me eat. Let me long for that pure spiritual milk. And as you do that, and as the rhythm begins to flow, not by our prompting, but by the Spirit of God in your heart, and the will, the intention of your heart to do this, you will grow in great, great measure, and you will see great maturity in your faith. And I'm just encouraging you to do that. Then finally, the purpose of it all is to bring about a harvest. All right, so if you see the seedlings, if you come to my house and see the seedlings, you'll say, that's really cool. In fact, some of you may even want to start that. I had somebody ask me, what'd you call that again? I'm going to Amazon and look. I told them how to get them. Some of you may want to do that. It's really cool, but it's not so cool if you don't get a harvest out of it. The purpose is the harvest. I'm looking forward to a number of weeks from now when Kay and I will go and glean and we'll pick and we'll bring into the house and she'll start preparing a fantastic meal with that which is fresh. And God is looking forward to the day of the harvest that he will gather from you who are mature and growing in your faith. That's the purpose of us living out this Christian life in our salvation. So Jesus was gathering his disciples for a meal. It was one that he had really anticipated for a long time because he knew it would be not only his final meal, but it would be the final meal that would be the Passover. On that very night, he would be betrayed and arrested and by the next morning, he would be hung on a cross. So he wanted to share this meal with them so that he could give them clear instructions about all that had been transpiring and all that would. And he spends a great length of time sharing with them great truths. Ideally, that they would understand that the Passover meal that they were eating, the lamb that was slain, was all pointing all those years towards him, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And while he's sharing those kind of truths with them, either while he's in that upper room or while they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to point out, either in remembrance or in actuality, a vine and branches and fruit that are bearing or have been born on the vine. And he says to them, I want you to stay connected to me in order to produce a bountiful harvest. In fact, he says in chapter 15 of John, no longer do I call you servants, for servants don't know. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He says that I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So we're not like a master-servant relationship, he's saying. Instead, the servant may only know what he's told to do. You know the intention of my father, 
I've shared that with you. And that takes our relationship to a whole nother uh, level. He says, we're friends. I've shared with you what I've heard from my father, and I've been open with you about that. He goes on to say, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask him, the father, my father in, in, in my name, he may give it to you. So according to this abiding fruit, ask my father in my name and he will give it to you because your purpose is to bear fruit. So I've shared this with you, not as servants, but as friends. In other words, you're not my servants to go do my bidding. You're my friends who understand the will of the Father because I've expressed that to you. And it's the will of the Father that you bear abiding fruit. So God sees us in the same way. Jesus is saying, I call you friend because I have given you the full instruction of my Father. I've given you the full will of my Father, what he's doing and what he is going to do. I have shared everything with you. I have not given you specific instruction as if it's your duty. I have shared it all with you. So as friends, I call you like my father called me to do his will. I call you to do this will and ask whatever you need in my name. My father will give it to you so that his will will be accomplished. And what is this will? That you would bear abiding fruit. Not just fruit for today, but abiding fruit, eternal fruit. So the more you grow in the newness of life, the more you grow in the hunger for rich, uh, pure, spiritual milk, the Word of God, the more you grow and you become more like Jesus and think like Him, the more people will come to know Jesus through you. And you'll see people come to Christ around you. That's bearing abundant, abiding fruit. And the more you speak love and grace and mercy and you act with benevolence and kindness and patience and all the other dispositions of the Spirit that's alive within you, the more abiding fruit you give. And what Jesus is saying, that's the purpose for your new life, that you would abide with great fruit. So Jesus came to the earth to do the will of the Father. He did it perfectly, and now he invites you and me as he was ascending into heaven as his friends to do the same. He says, as I, as the Father sent me, so I send you. He's sending us in that way. Jesus had already explained that the vine and the branch are directly connected to one another and have to be. So he says to his disciples, look, guys, if you think you can do this on your own, you can't. Stay connected to me. I can see him looking at a a vineyard, and he says, look, these branches have to be connected to that vine in order for the vine to produce fruit through them. You're going to have to stay connected to me in order for me to bear forth fruit in you. Stay connected. This isn't about you or me saying, God, I'm going to do my very best. God, I'm going to do it better than ever before. God, you're going to be pleased with No, 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 no. It's God, I need so desperately to stay connected to Jesus. Help me today. God, I need so much your word in my life. Help me to stay connected to the vine today. And as I'm connected to the vine, bear forth fruit in me and let it be abiding. Yes, it takes the the tendency of our heart to be given to the things of God. And yes, it takes some tenacity of us every now and then to press into the things of God when the world wants to pull and separate us away from him. But I'm telling you, this is where it's rich. You just stay connected to Jesus. You stay connected to his word and you leave all the results up to him. So you who are dead, die to sin 
and die to self and be buried with Jesus. In faith be buried with him that God alone sent his son who is righteous to take your sin upon himself that you might receive his life and righteousness. Die to sin and self. And let this gospel that is now warming your heart, let it bring forth the right conditions for your heart to be given to God and let the root of the gospel go deep in you and you start shooting towards the glory of Jesus Christ and coming alive in faith in Him. But don't stop there. Let your life be longing for, deeply desiring and wanting the pure spiritual milk that comes from God's Word. Let the Spirit of God teach you so that you might grow in a hearty, robust way to maturity so that you can begin to blossom and bring forth great fruit to the glory of Jesus. Because one day, at the fulfillment of your salvation, God is going to give you a new body. And on that day, I pray that it will be you who's dancing with joy at the harvest that is to come because of what Christ has accomplished through you. You stay connected to Him. You grew in Him. You reached towards the glory of His light. And He is basking in the wonder of His harvest that He has accomplished. Let it be. You say, Randy, I could never see myself doing that. I never see myself being able to accomplish those kind of things. Then die to yourself. God never expected you to be able to do it. Die to yourself. Die to your sin. Let the old you be nailed to the cross and grow with purposefulness in the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God will bring forth an abundant fruit in you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the treasure of your scripture. Thank you, Lord, that it gives hope and right now, there are some in this room who are receiving hope by your word. Thank you for the promises that are true in Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord, that you declare in Philippians that what you begin, you will complete to the end. And Lord, maybe now there's just going to be a sudden burst of growth by your spirit in the lives of some who have been stagnant for a long time. Maybe they've been stunted like plants get stunted in the winter, but oh Lord, you're springing life into them. You're bringing warmth of your word and praise and prayer into them. And as they're growing, Lord, let them mature with great faith and let the harvest be abiding in them, through them. I pray it would be a glorious life lived. It would culminate in the future with a great happy dance that the harvest has been gathered. And Father, if you're bringing some into this room or hearing it on the live stream or maybe even on the radio or podcast and you're wanting to speak life into someone who is spiritually dead, I pray, Lord, that it would bring glory to you as they die to self and die to sin and take up the cross of Jesus and follow after him. Be glorified and be honored in that as we treasure the truth for them and for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.